Hello, and welcome to our podcast, continuing speaker series conversation with SNHU and our Major League Soccer partner. Today, I have the pleasure of having our guest, Mary Beth Towers, the Senior Vice President of Consumer Products with Soccer United Marketing. And basically, the idea behind this podcast series is that as the official education partner of SNHU with Major League Soccer, it allows us kind of an insider access to allow our students to gain insight and information related to various careers and career opportunities, as well as uh, executives who are part of our partnerships. And so today we'll be exploring a topic that is of sport licensing and consumer products as it relates to Major League Soccer, and it's a very exciting opportunity. Mary Beth, so glad to have you. Thrilled to be able to have this discussion with you today. My pleasure to be with you all. Without further ado, my name is Dr. Mark Cox, and I am the chair and professor of the Sport Management Department at Southern New Hampshire University in Manchester, New Hampshire. We'll just kind of jump right in, and we'll start with a couple of lead questions here, if I may. Sure. Can you describe your career background and how you got to Major League Soccer? So early in my career, I was in retail as a buyer for both department stores and specialty stores, then did a mid-career MBA with Pepperdine University in international business and marketing. And when I finished that, knew that I didn't want to go back into retail, did sort of a whole kind of look at what was out there, looked at every, you know, kind of avenue. And at the time, I was living in Los Angeles. And obviously, that city is somewhat dominated by the Hollywood crowd. And so I was introduced to a gentleman who had been in the consumer products business for the entertainment industry for quite some time. He was a consultant, knew a lot of the studio folks. And he and I got to know each other. And that was an intriguing move for me because all of my retail background was beneficial to that direction, but gave me an opportunity to move into something completely new and different. So did consumer products, so very similar to what I'm doing here at Major League Soccer and for the men's and women's national teams, but did it in the entertainment world. So Warner Brothers working on their movie and television properties, did a little stint at Fox. And during that time at Warner Brothers, interestingly, we at one point through our relationship with Nike represented some of the international football clubs. So Manchester United, FC Barcelona, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain. And that was where I got to know soccer, kind of fell in love with the sport, didn't grow up playing the sport, but fell in love with it working with those properties. And then through a mutual colleague, I'd left Warner Brothers, got introduced to Kathy Carter, my current boss who heads up Soccer United Marketing. And at the time, she had been recently made president of the division and had gained consumer products as part of her new responsibilities. And it was an area that she felt had more possibilities than what was currently being recognized at time. This was six years ago, but was not familiar enough with the space to make that determination. So I worked with her for about a year, traveling back and forth from LA, consulting on sort of first analyzing the business and then ultimately agreeing with her that there was more opportunity, putting the business plan together. And then she asked me to make the business plan happen. So I actually had to live up to the business plan that I wrote. (laughs) Go figure. One of those execution (laughs) issues, right? Certainly, certainly. Well, it also is interesting because it just shows, you know, obviously a lot of our students are kind of on the entry floor level for retail experience and, you know, working long hours and stuff. So ultimately, it does pay off. Yes, it does. Yeah. And those are long hours. I do remember those days. (laughs) That's a good grounding. Good. Yeah. Thank you. I guess broadly, can you describe what licensing is and why MLS uses it as part of their broader revenue and marketing strategy? So licensing is is basically a business model whereby 
you know, a property or a brand can extend themselves into other product categories that they don't necessarily want to manufacture themselves. And it also gives you the opportunity to then hire, if you will, by way of the licensing agreements, the best in a particular category. So you can hire, you know, a company that really focuses on nothing but T-shirts or nothing but headwear. And you can hire some experts in the industry so you don't have to as a brand or as a, or as a property owner. And so, again, it's primarily a business model. It can be a little nerve-wracking as a business model because by definition, so as an example, we have upwards of 60 licensees that work on Major League Soccer. You are turning your brand over to 60 different companies to execute in the marketplace. So it's a terrific business model in terms of driving revenue and getting you into areas of business that you don't necessarily want. They're not your core competency. You don't want to run them yourselves. At the same time, you have to be careful in how you execute because you're putting your brand out there with other folks to, to you, you lose some control to some degree. Absolutely. In terms of Major League Soccer's fans, this is a great way to get them kind of the products and the experiences they want. And, and you know, we all love to have that jersey and that, that affiliation. T-shirt and hat and mug and right, right. car flag, <laughs> license plate frame. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I do recall one time I went to a Manchester United game and um, in Old Trafford and walked into their licensed merchandise mm. store, and I thought I was in the <laughs> Costco warehouse. You know, it was such a large Massive, scale. Yeah. Um, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for that. What specifically interested you in consumer products at MLS? You know, I think it was the opportunity to build out a business. You know, working for the entertainment industry was fun, but it they're machines. They've been doing this for a long time. There were certain programs that we were able to innovate, but it, overall it was a business that was very mature in terms of how it was structured and the standard operating procedures that were in place. So... When it came here, again, I think Kathy recognized the business was still pretty nascent, and for good reason. There was a lot of other things that took precedent in terms of making sure that the league was on good footing. By definition, consumer products as a licensed business for a brand or an IP is a trailing business. The IP has to be healthy, established, you know, well-received, and then consumer products will follow. That said, it also is, you alluded to it earlier, it's a terrific grassroots marketing tool. So as much as it's a revenue driver, and it is, Kathy reminds me of that on a fairly regular basis, but we also see our role as providing our fans with the tools to be our brand ambassadors. And it's a terrific, like I said, grassroots marketing campaign for any one of our clubs. So it was the opportunity to really come in and take a business that had a really good footing. Our primary partner was Adidas at the time. They still are our primary partner in terms of the on-field and some of the fanware. But it had it still had a long way to go in terms of, I think, getting the right mix of licensees in place, putting some parameters and creative tools in place, things like style guides, you know, getting people to think about trend, not just utilizing the logos in a more basic fashion. So there was a lot of places for growth, and that was very interesting to me. Well, that's exciting. And, and I think your, your point about being able to join an organization that's in the growth mode 
and really be able to make an impact. And I think, you know, for a lot of our listeners, students thinking about, you know, new and exciting careers in sport management, oftentimes, you know, they do want to be sport agents and that, but there's also a wonderful world full of jobs and opportunities on on, on the consumer product side. And also, I just wanted to uh, clarify one thing. When we use the word IP for our listeners, no, please, uh, (laughs) that stands for intellectual property, which can be patent, trademarks, copyrights, things like that. And, And that stuff basically helps to protect the logo and, and the team names and what have you, so that unauthorized use is minimized or eliminated, <laughs> certainly. Thank you. Yeah. Here's a good one for you to consider is, can you describe a normal week in your role <laughs> if there is such a thing? You know, I saw that when you question when you sent them over, and I just checked the one that said there no such thing. <laughs> you know, I really had to think about that. Is there a typical week? And honestly, there kind of isn't. And I think it's by nature of two things, even though they're very hand-in-hand, they're sort of disparate properties that we work with, and that is Major League Soccer and all the the clubs that are encompassed in that, and then the men's and women's national teams, and to a lesser degree, the Mexican national team. Because they're on such different cadences, and you're constantly sort of switching between the two properties, that lends one level of complexity. And then I think it's just the season that we go through with Major League Soccer. It's you know, you have very different things that occur and are required at the beginning of the season versus, you know, now we're coming up on our all-star break and then you get into playoffs and cup. There's no two weeks that are really identical because of that. Right, right, right. And I'm, and I'm sure there's some challenges as well as working with, you know, 60 different licensees all trying to do their own products and planning. And that must be quite yeah. a for 23 different teams who also all have their personalities, right? And rightfully so. So one of the things that we've worked very hard, and I think we still have a ways to go, is making sure that our licensees really treat each of those clubs as an individual entity, as opposed to, as an example, you know, taking a graphic and just switching out logos. Our clubs have extremely different personalities. So the brand image that Portland Timbers has is worlds away from what New York City Football Club has and everything in between. So they all have nuances that we try to recognize in terms of how the creative execution is produced. Right. And, and if I may, uh, you do host a licensee kind of retailer summit each year. And I'm going to ask, as this is a side question, but does that help to facilitate that customization approach? And I think so, because it's an opportunity. So it brings together our key licensees and their product lines. And it's primarily, although we've expanded it now to some of our key third-party partners, but the origins of it and still the focus is for the club retailers to be able to come together. So they then have an opportunity to sit and sort of see all the licensees or at least a a good chunk of the licensees all in one place. And they get to spend time with each other, which they don't throughout the year. They don't do it for obvious reasons. They do travel to some extent when they're you know, come, going to away games, but they don't have a lot of time to exchange information amongst themselves as well. But yeah, I think that's actually a really good snapshot too for our licensees. In one, you know, day basically, they meet with all of the clubs, and I think they get a real sense of you know the differences amongst them. Well, and, and that and it's interesting because for our students, you know, when they think about wanting to be affiliated, wanting to work for MLS or yep. a team, we often try to let them expand the scope of their understanding that says, listen, not only do you have the you know 20 team, 20 plus teams now, but we also have 60 licensees. Mm-hmm. So those are companies that are working with MLS. So you can yep. also consider employment with 
with them as well Absolutely. Uh, if you want to be kind of working with it. Yeah, and many of our licensees are licensees of other sports leagues, of other soccer entities. So working on that side of the business, you get exposure to a lot of different organizations. So that's actually an interesting you know, concept to go there. And then you know, you'll be able to meet a lot of different folks within the, within the sports world and decide what your next move is. Very good. Very good. How does the role of the consumer products group change when working on Major League Soccer product versus the men's and women's U.S. national teams? So with the league, at go back, I would equate this to my entertainment days where we used to refer to evergreen properties versus event properties. So an evergreen property was one that had sort of a day-in, day-out presence versus a movie that would come out. You'd have a six- to eight-week period of time, and then it kind of past. And I think it's not quite that delineated between the league and the national teams, but it's close. So again, the league has a pretty much day-in, day-out presence. Our schedule is long. We start in March. We don't end until December. So by definition, we're sort of out there on a weekly basis versus the national teams where they have these hits of whether it's qualifiers, it's the draw, it's training camps, and then of course it's World Cup timeframes. So again, those are more event-type opportunities in terms of how we talk to the retailers treating them. Not so much in the hardcore sports retailers, so at Dick's Sporting Goods, the soccer specialty stores. They will very likely carry some form of the national team product on a day-in and day-out basis. But when you get into the more general market retailers, so when we start talking to anywhere from an urban outfitter to a target, that consumer is not necessarily going to be in tune with, you know, sort of the slight downtimes from the national teams. So we encourage them to think about it in more in terms of event driven and help them understand that calendar and when they should be pulsing the product on floor. Great. And, and you know, that's part and parcel to some of the skill sets that our students are being encouraged to take on a little bit more when they enroll in, you know, say the sport management program, because project management is a real important thing. Yes, you know, the traditional sport marketing and, you know, global sport perspectives and things like that. But as you just pointed out, sometimes it's it's kind of like managing inconsistent chaos, right? You have <laughs> starts and stops and you have things that change and contingency plans need to be put in place. And, and, and being able to manage that effectively, it sounds like, is an important thing. Yeah, and I think being able to be comfortable moving between you know, those types of projects and, quite frankly, being flexible on your priorities. So what you thought you were going to be working on that particular week may shift depending upon what's happening with the season, with the clubs, with, you know, so it's being able to to be comfortable with that chaos to some extent. Sure, sure. Great. Does the current era of increased self-expression by athletes change your group's role at all? Yeah, if anything, it's hugely beneficial because, and not on a consistent basis, and some of them more so than others, their activity on social media, there have been times when they will latch on to either you know a product that they just gravitate to or in the instances where specifically the product is built around players by definition and they latch on and they tweet out because, like I said, they've gravitated to it, they enjoy it. That's hugely beneficial to us no more authentic voice on behalf of, you know, a licensee's SKU than if the, the player endorses it and gets a grin out of it. So it's been... Trendsetters, right? And they all are, yeah. by definition. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick word from SNHU Career for a moment. 
As the official education partner of Major League Soccer, Southern New Hampshire University gives students access to exclusive MLS internships. If you're a student interested in pursuing opportunities with MLS, contact the SNHU career team today. Welcome back. Again, I'm here with Mary Beth Towers, the Senior Vice President of Consumer Products from Soccer United Marketing. And we're in a great conversation about sport licensing and consumer products and Major League Soccer's utilization of those products and their brands. So as we continue on, Mary Beth, are there differences when MLS uses licensing for consumer products versus its athletes? Where I'm coming from there is, you know, with, with athletes, there's there's kind of the the celebrity side, mm-hmm. and you have operated in the entertainment world. So I'm just kind of curious if there's any difference. Yeah, in I, don't, I mean, I don't think so because in both both spaces, you're being you're looking to be respectful of the underlying property sensibility. So I hate to sort of put a player as being a property, but to some extent, they are, especially those that are interested in some more than others in sort of creating a self-brand. So they think of themselves more along those lines in terms of being more than just a player. So I think you're still looking to, you know, choose the right product categories, make sure that the executions are in keeping with the underlying you know, property, whether that is a club and its personality or whether it's a player and his his or her personality. So you try to align them mm-hmm. as best you can exactly. so that you don't get a complete disconnect. Disconnect, right, exactly. Right, right. And making sure that in either instance, when one of our chief business officers walks into you know, a Dick's Sporting Goods and sees his or her product on the floor, they're proud of what it looks like. I'd want the same to be true of any of our players. Right. Great, great, great. Does MLS see licensing as a strategic tool for international market expansion in order to reach its brand across seas? And and if so, how does it do that? Yeah, I think, again, I would go back to the fact that sort of by definition phrase that I use is that licensing and consumer products in this space is the tail of the dog. So we're not going to be the lead in that, you know, in moving into international. The lead is going to be things like our new broadcast partners overseas where we're getting the right exposure, people are seeing the games live. And so that's what it takes in terms of creating that underlying brand awareness, if you will. And then we can come in. Now, we come in and so we've we've dipped our toe in that waters to see kind of what the appetite is. But again, you're not going to lead with consumer products. You got to lead with the properties. We quickly follow in the sense that what I alluded to earlier, consumer products can also be a terrific grassroots marketing tool. So once you get a toehold with the underlying property, then having consumer products come in quickly after that is smart because then you give the opportunity to sort of spread that word, spread that news a little bit further. Sure, sure. And, and you know, it's interesting when you look at some of the uh, Premier League clubs and, yep. and how they've utilized their licensing yeah. back to get into our market, you know. And, they for sure know. have their eyes on this market. We are a large, lucrative market for the world. So yes, we have a lot of competition. That's good, though. I think we're doing really well, though. Some days I like it. Some days, yeah. I'd, I'd prefer if they 
stay home. No. Oh, good, good. <laughs> well, this is a particular interest to our listeners, and that is, does your group hire interns? And if so, uh, what sets applicants apart above others? We do, and lately the interns that we've been using have been summer interns only and in our digital. So as part of our responsibilities, we run MLSstore.com and all of the affiliate club stores that are under that umbrella. So that's the place that we've uh, utilized help throughout the summers. And I think what, you know, when Katie, who's my director of that space, looks for is somebody who comes, which, I don't know, I think it's hard to find someone who's uh, 18, 19, 20 years old who isn't savvy within the online world and social media world. But that's kind of what we're looking for in that space is somebody who is comfortable, understands social media, understands, you know, not necessarily from a from a consumer product standpoint, but is comfortable in that space. Once an intern begins in the group, what have some of them done to separate themselves? And, and alternatively, what are some of the things they've struggled with? The ones that have really separated themselves are the ones who really jump in, willingness to absolutely, like, step up, learn, get into the thick of it, not afraid to potentially make mistakes. It's okay. But that kind of enthusiasm in terms of coming in and willing to take on projects, willing to take on assignments, and being proactive about that. I don't know that I'm close enough to, you probably have to ask Katie what they struggle with. I guess perhaps getting just, you know, it's hard. I To me, I think it would be hard to come in for, you know, three to four month period of time. And in that time, you have to get to know the organization. You have to understand the, you know, the priorities and, you know, the standard operating procedures and then try to be effective within that short time frame. That, to me, I think would be challenging yeah. for any for any of the areas. When we really try to push our students when they intern or an organization for an internship, you know, one of the things that we, we obviously emphasize is saying, look, you know, you have to kind of adapt to that space. You have to learn how to learn so that when yeah. you go into an organization, you pick up on that stuff and then become a, an effective contributor as soon as possible. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, exactly. oh, that's very helpful. That's yeah. very helpful. What specific career skills do you think is most beneficial to someone who might be interested in working in the field of sport licensing and consumer products? So when we look to bring on headcount and I work with our HR, obviously, you know, if there's candidates that have a direct licensing background of some sort, helpful. But in lieu of that, I'm interested in people who have retail experience, so they understand the retail world and what motivates and what, what they're how their businesses run. Also interested in people who have any sort of manufacturing backgrounds, if they've ever worked for, you know, a CPG company, whether it's internships or otherwise. So if they understand product development, if they understand product marketing, if they understand sourcing, any of those skill sets are transferable because obviously in our situation, that's we're working with either manufacturers that we're licensing or we're working directly with the retailers on behalf of the of the properties. So any of those skills that surround either side of the business is helpful. That's an important distinction. I think, you know, as I said, a lot of students who come in the program, you know, want to be the next uh, Jerry Maguire, right, the, the sport <laughs> agent, or they want to be the GM of the, of the, the club, money. right? And <laughs> while we, we don't discourage that, we also try to implant a, a sense of reality in terms of career development, that it, that it takes time 
to, uh, to, to to progress, you know, to somebody of your level, and and you've had to do a lot of different things to establish that experience base, and and to build on that to the level of success that you've achieved and are achieving is is a magnificent thing, and and I think our students aspire to that level. Well, and I think that's actually true in most of the other areas. So even when I you know look at my colleagues in partnership marketing and sponsorship and some of the other aspects of the business, I th- same thing. They've also either worked for a CPG company, worked for a company that, you know, was in this space and was on the other side of the table. And so having having any sort of background in that area is also beneficial because if you understand the businesses and the marketing objectives of the people across the table from you, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. You speak their language. No, that's a good good perspective to be, at least have an understanding of, of the shoes of the other. So Exactly. We have a lot of students at Southern New Hampshire University who also take online courses in our online program. And these students don't necessarily have the ability to take an hourly or an unpaid internship due to having family and other financial commitments. What is your advice for someone looking to switch into the sport industry without having done an internship first? I think, again, taking a look at your background and looking for those transferable skills that you can highlight. So I think sometimes, again, it's easier as a hiring manager or as an HR manager to look for somebody who has very direct connections to the job that you're looking to fill. But I think if you're coming from a space and you've not necessarily worked in sports licensing, like I said, looking for those transferable skills to the particular position that you're, that you're applying for and highlighting those and pointing those out for somebody is helpful. And also, you know, in terms of researching the organization that, that you're targeting and going after yeah. and understanding, you know, the space that they're in. And yeah, hugely important. So it is, it is painfully obvious when you sit down and speak to someone whether or not they've done that due diligence. So doing that huge deep dive, and today so much easier because everything is available online. There's not much that that companies can really, you know, that's private anymore in terms of how the businesses are run and being able to, you know, look at articles and their own websites. So like I said, it is incredibly obvious who's done that homework when they sit down versus who hasn't. And it's I can't tell you how that set, completely sets the tone for any interview. Mary Beth Towers, thank you very much. This has been very insightful, and we really appreciate, number one, your time, especially given all that you have and the responsibilities that you have here at uh, MLS. We hope our listeners have gained some insights and perspective, and we look forward to continuing these kinds of conversations with executives like yourself and to reinforce the partnership between SNHU and Major League Soccer because when the day is done, you know, it it is about our students. It is about helping our students get a foothold in sport management and and great organizations like Major League Soccer. So thank you. Yep, my pleasure. We believe in what you guys are doing, so. Thank you. At Southern New Hampshire University, sport management is just one of the over 200 online and on-campus degrees we offer. To learn more about SNHU, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit our website at snhu.edu.